We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Before we want to um, rehearse the stories that we've told before. We want to reinforce the traditions that have gone before, to do again what we've done. There's something beautiful in that. And this is not that. So a little bit of a preemptive apology. You get a lot of good when you get me as the preacher man, and then you also get an Easter lesson like this. <laughs> oh, well. <clears throat> so the lesson started looking for a song to help us learn to sing harmony. And by the way, very well done. Uh, and Doug then chose a song guaranteed to ruffle feathers. Uh, comes from a Jesus story. Uh, on the cross, two criminals. Second criminal says, remember me. Jesus says, will do. You, me, paradise. <clears throat> three problems with the song, I've said. And these are also three problems with organized Christianity. Redeem the song. Maybe we think differently about our broken religion. So today we're going to see if we can redeem that third one. Two words show up in the story kingdom and paradise, and both, for historical reasons, evoke in most people's minds the Western story about the afterlife. I am in the this is so cool stage exploring uh, the AI chatbots. <laughs> so I asked ChatGPT to write us two limericks about the afterlife. And here is what artificial intelligence has learned about the afterlife from us. A zillion of our books, articles, blog posts. Here's the first. In the afterlife, we'll be free from all pain and misery. With loved ones, we'll unite in a world that's always bright, where joy and peace will always be. Thank you, GPT. Or, the afterlife fills me with dread. A place where the living fear to tread, eternal torment and flames for our sins and earthly shames, a place of darkness where hope is dead. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, a mom brought her teenager for a chat. There had been a bad experience at school. A teacher made a bold statement. People who don't believe X or Y or Z, and teenager didn't believe X or Y or Z, or at least wasn't sure. People who don't believe X or Y or Z go straight to hell, and the world will be better when they go. Get the non-believers out of here, burning in hell, and we'll be able to live the way God wants us to live. You might imagine, kid was bothered. <laughs> So mom says, let's go see the preacher man. So I asked our young person when we were together, what bothers you more about what happened? Is it that there's an in-group who can believe and an out-group who can't believe, and you're in the out-group, and so there you've been rejected? Does that bother you more? Or is there in the back of your mind uh, a niggling suspicion that, oh, well, you know, maybe teacher's right. I might be on my way to eternal torment. 
and both, of course, bothered, but mostly, what if the teacher's right? How we think about the afterlife impacts how we think about and how we live this life. It shapes who we can be friends with and who we can't. It determines if we use our lives to make the world a better place or if we don't. It determines how we approach economics and housing and wages and equity. It determines how we treat the world and how we treat everything in the world. Now, when I was young, a book had come out that sold uh, millions and millions of copies. And because of this book, a lot of people thought, counting from 1948, when uh, Israel had become a nation, that the prophecies in the scriptures said, 40 years max, and then Jesus returns, then the world will be over. Well, aside from why we would believe that or think that, if you do, if you think that, why in the world would you care about the environment? Why in the world would you care about pollution? You wouldn't because the whole thing's going to go away anyway. Our afterlife story is very deterministic in how we think how we think about what it means to be a good person, how we think about what it means to live a good life, how we think about what it means to be a noble human being. So I told our teenager, I don't know your teacher, but I kind of know your teacher, and I know what he thinks, and I kind of know why he thinks it. And I bet he's not a jerk. He's probably nice. I mean, he became a teacher, for goodness sakes. But I also bet that he thinks he has to say what he said to you because he thinks it's true. And he thinks that if he doesn't scare some sense into you impressionable adolescents, then he will have been derelict in his duty. Because you will then suffer for all eternity and he will have done nothing to prevent it. Now you should also know, teenager, uh, just because he believes it's a true story doesn't make it a true story. His is not the only Christian afterlife story. There are earlier ones, and there are better ones, but most Americans only know that one. Well, today is Easter, and this day is all about what happens after death. Paul has two very uh, famous uh, phrases, a couplet of sorts. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Very much about the afterlife. And embedded in the way that we Westerners Easter is our Western story about the afterlife. Nicely synthesized for us, thank you, chat GPT. Pearly gates if you pray the prayer, fiery flames if you don't. What I told our teenager is historically accurate. The teacher's afterlife story, our most common American afterlife story, is not the only one, not the earliest one. It actually showed up relatively late in our tradition. We got that story after our religion's Western migration from Jerusalem to Rome, after we became the imperial religion of Roman conquest. Now today there's only time for a very brief history lesson. I put the afterlife chapters uh, of the book into the app.
uh, on the uh, community bulletin board. If you go to the resources tab, you can read a lot more history, a lot more documentation. Uh, it's there in the tab, or you could get the book. Uh, if you want a hard copy, uh, we moved. I lost everything, and then I just found them. I just found some books. I brought them. They're right here. Uh, you can get them for the cost, uh, that what they cost the author and the shipping. If you put $10 extra in the offering over the next few weeks, that would be great. You can also go to Amazon and get the Kindle version there for also $10. So here's the brief history. Jesus and the criminal were Jewish. That is a critical bit of information. <laughs> that is an often overlooked lens for looking. And at the time, the concept of the afterlife in the Jewish world was not a cohesive uh, shared view. There was no shared sense of what happens when we die. So there on the cross, there in the story, in the air that they were breathing were several themes about the afterlife. One way of viewing it was Sheol. Uh, it's often translated the grave or the underworld. Souls go to Sheol, souls go there, not to be punished, not to be rewarded, but really to get some sleep. They go there to rest up after a long, hard life. On rare occasions, they might wake up just enough to have a brief chat with the living, but for the most part, Sheol is where you go to rest. Now, another group had just been warming to the idea that, you know, our historic figures, so faithful in this fight, resisting the oppressors, resisting Rome, resisting the Assyrians, resisting the Hittites, holding out for the day when we would once be, again be a free nation, once again be freed from the oppressors from the outside, they should get to go to the party when God finally delivers us. The Pharisees primarily thought this way. When God finally delivers us and we return to the garden, that was the Pharisees' idea of the afterlife, Jerusalem will return to the garden ideal. It was called Gan Eden. And the faithful should be there to see our final triumph like the after party at Endor. <coughs> Those were the two main ideas. Sheol, the grave, get some rest. Rise, see the after party, see when God finally delivers us. Now, Bunch of variations on both of those two main themes and lots of debating back and forth. You might have heard the expression arguing Torah. It is part of the Jewish tradition to go back and forth, try and come to the best understanding to get a clear understanding. But what there wasn't was a shared Jewish afterlife narrative. And Jesus, once given the opportunity to weigh in on the topic, deftly sidestepped the issue responded in a way that almost everybody could agree with. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, yeah, they're dead and they're kind of alive, maybe in a shale kind of way. But the afterlife, Jesus made it very clear, is not the point. The afterlife is not the focus. That is not what we're doing here. It's not what the word kingdom means in the story. It's not what paradise means in the story. Well, those two words... Here's what they did not mean at the time of Jesus. They did not mean that. They did not mean the pearly gate, heaven in the sky, streets of gold. That idea just didn't exist in the world yet. That is not what was happening in the story from which our song comes. It also, we saw a couple weeks ago, didn't mean that. 
I said that the whole Jesus emperor vibe, I showed you some stained glass with sword and throne and uh, crown, that's at odds with the person of Jesus. It's at odds with the teaching of Jesus. I can tell you how those things came to be, but they aren't what the, uh, the, the pro- that's, that's not a clear understanding of Jesus. This is the afterlife that Jesus and the criminal and everybody at the time was working with. It just wasn't clear. (laughs) Now we love simple and we love clear. We love it so much that sometimes we will sacrifice what actually is in order to get simple, in order to get clear. But in this Jesus story and in our song, the afterlife just was not clear. It was not simple. The Wikipedia article on this uh, word, the, this phrase, Olam Haba, the world to come. The article says this, citing contemporary Jewish commentary of the time, it is impossible for living human beings to know what is to come. That's pretty much the Jewish worldview. It is impossible to know what is to come. Put another way, it is not clear and it is not simple. Now it got clear And it got very simple after the Western migration to Rome. It got even more clear and more simple after Dante and after Milton. But when our tradition began, when our story happened, there was no clear, simple afterlife. It was surely not the organizing principle for the whole religion, and it was surely not what our teenager heard. Because again, that did not exist yet in the world. I mentioned in the first part, the magic of this story with Jesus in the criminal is that Jesus and the criminal together found hope while facing death, not having that. Without that, they found hope. Well, that resonates very deeply with me because I have also found that same hope without that. Today, I'd like to introduce you to some friends of mine. I met them quite some time ago, (coughs) back in my late 20s and early 30s. They helped me a great deal on my own personal journey. But later, when I realized the Herculean task that is set before our whole religion, that we have to have our own reformation, that we have to fundamentally strip down everything and rebuild it, they were very good friends to have. These are some of the mystics in our tradition. And they've become especially dear to me. I met John first. Uh, He helped me make sense of a decade of darkness and depression in my life. He showed me Doug, this isn't just random suffering that you're going through. This is a well-worn path. Many have gone it before you. And there is meaning and there is context to put around this dark night that your soul is going through. You've heard me say, the point of pain is not to get out of pain. The point of pain is to get out of pain. What we need to get out of pain, I got that from John. But I think my deepest affection is for Julian, She lived through much darker times than mine. She went through grievous loss, uh, having gone through several outbreaks of bubonic plague, the Black Death. But she had had some semi-mystical experiences, visions, 
and stitching those together, she had come up with a very helpful meaning-making narrative. She had a deep understanding, a much bigger picture, and she told it to me. Basically, she said, Doug, in the worst of human experience, this is a very famous phrase for Julian, all is well, all is well. In the worst of human experience, all is well, all is well. Now, that is very dismissible as batshit crazy. (laughs) Because who in the world goes through the kinds of things that people go through and says, all is well, all is well. And I would have dismissed it. And I would have thought it stupid and naive, except part of me knew that it was true. Because I'd also had a semi-mystical experience. And you can read that in the last chapter of the book. The the story I tell would be too long to tell now. Looking squarely at my worst pain, I had also seen all is well, all is well. So you'll also hear me say this from time to time. Yeah, I don't know what God is, but whatever God is, God is good. We are safe. God is good. We are safe. That comes from my experience of Julian. What I loved when I met Julian was that she was saying to me, hey, it's, just not, it's not just you, buddy. Uh, yeah, your experience, yeah, it's a thing. Let me affirm from history to tell you, yep, it's a real thing. But it's not just a you thing. You need to understand, this is, you're, not, you're just not that special. <laughs> this is an all of us thing. It's a way things are kind of thing. Now, Teresa, she introduced me to the breadth of spiritual practices. When we are talking about working the circle, especially the contemplative practices, you can thank Teresa. Uh, If you will be steady in the practices, she told me, you will see, and you will see increasingly the connectedness of everything. More one than two. Oneness is a better description of reality than two-ness. Thank you, Teresa. So, she said, do the practices and make them part of your life, and I've done that. Thank you. Teresa. Now, though Meister Eckhart is a sour-looking guy, (laughs) he's also very dear to me because he told me, yep, Teresa's right, even though he was born 300 years before Teresa. Oneness, kid, it's just a thing. You got to factor it in, especially now that you're entering into this seismic shift that's going on in your religion. And I know, I know, I know you feel two-ness and I know you feel separateness, but I want you to know it's an illusion. I want you to understand you are one with the divine and you are one with other people. Now, I included Frank and Tom, not because they have anything to do with our lesson today, but because they told me that if you keep on this oneness-finding journey, you're going to start to prioritize social justice because your concerns are just going to expand so that it's not sufficient for you just to care about you and yours. All of us are oneness. You've got to care about the world. Well, our mystics pointed me to a path, point us to a path. You've heard me say before, it is time in history for mysticism that used to be on the fringe of our tradition to come mainstream. Because if we're going to have a reformation, this is going to be at the center of it, direct encounter with the divine. If we follow what they laid out for us, we will experience an underlying reality, infinite love, some have called it, 
something bigger than our five senses, eternity in us, part of us, the sacred in the everyday and the mundane. Every one of them and all of our mystical tradition also had a profound take on death. They didn't talk much about pearly gates. They didn't talk much about streets of gold. But they did echo Julian over and over again and again. All is well. All is well. They lived Easter. They lived death where is your victory. They lived death where is your sting. They lived death is not something to fear. And it wasn't because they had an incontrovertible roadmap of the afterlife. Maybe all that stuff that our tradition tells us is going to happen, maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't happen. I don't know, and you don't know, and anybody who tells you that they know, they don't know either. But what our mystics taught us, the same priority system that Jesus taught us, heaven to gain, hell to shun, is not the point. It's just not the thing. I suggested last week that we uh, Google together the term non-dualism. I hope you did. If you didn't, try it again uh, later today. It's a fancy term for what Meister told me a long time ago. I know you feel like discrete packages of separateness, kid, but that's an illusion. This is the default mode network in your brain and in mine. It's the part of us that stitches together our story, our experience of self. It's the part of our heads that creates a me. It's the part of our heads that distinguishes me from a distinct and separate you. It is the ego self generating part of our brains. Think about ourselves and we're using the default mode network. Wonder if we are liked or if we are likable. Consider whether we are good or if we are bad, if we are strong or if we are weak. Construct this thing, live in this thing we call self. It's the default mode network in our brains. It creates and then it maintains our sense of self. It's the part of us that says, I am this. Now, Teresa didn't know about brain science, but she did tell us these practices that we do, all of them, but especially the contemplative ones, do them and keep at them and keep at them and keep at them and keep at them. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to start to quiet the default mode network. And when you do, you're going to be able to see and you're going to be able to realize that there is an underlying reality that our physicists tell us about as well. Everything is connected. You too. Because quiet, the default mode network, and the rest of our brain becomes able to perceive and recognize, becomes able to feel and to intuit oneness able to see, feel, intuit the everything connected reality that we live in. So I read this book uh, a few years ago, uh, Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. Uh, it's now a Netflix documentary, be worth your time. 
And in it, the author describes several clinical trials that use chemicals that are also capable of quieting the default mode network. And one of those experiments stood out to me, or one of those trials, it was a psilocybin trial given to advanced cancer patients. Candidates for the trial were understandably anxious. Impending death will do that. They had the, ex the external pain of cancer in their bodies, but they also had the internal pain of anxiety and depression. So they went and they received treatment. Trained therapists, careful attention to set and setting, and the chemical did what the chemical does. It quieted down their default mode network. What stood out to me as I was reading the book was how those candidates began to describe their experience after the treatment. They sounded like Julian. They sounded like Meister. And they sounded like Teresa. Oneness, not twoness. All is well. All is well. Still had cancer still preparing to die, but all is well, all is well. They spoke, many of them did, about their sense of being connected to everything. They approached the world, having quieted the default mode network, as our mystics have taught us to do, freed from the shackles that we don't recognize that ego is less bound up in this construct that we tell ourselves that this equals me. Now, their ego self was only quiet for a few hours, but in that time, they were able to see something that they did not unsee when the experience was over. And what they saw was what our mystics have also seen. A remarkable thing happened. They no longer feared death. They began to say what Paul said. They began to say what Easter says. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Not this. This. Quiet the noise of that part of our brains that tells us that we are our egos the part of our brains that insists to us that we are separate and that we are disconnected. Quiet that part of our brains and we are able to perceive what we couldn't perceive when the default mode network was in charge. Ah, we are more one than two. One with God, the mystics said. One with one another, one with everything. And when that happens, death is just not a thing. Now, I imagine you share this with me, but I cannot imagine what me is without self. Probably because I've got a default mode network running in my head. <laughs> it's probably not even the right language for framing the dilemma. Everything is connected, gets bigger than the very concept of me or the very concept of self. But for me, I can't picture what me is if me is not a separate and distinct self. I can't picture non-ego me, non-self me. I can't picture fully connected to everything me. I just can't picture it. But thanks to Teresa, and thanks to Julian, and thanks to Meister, I don't have to see the full picture. I have had a glimpse 
there has resonated deeply within me that what they're talking about points to a reality. I have heard what our phys physicists say about everything being connected. And you know, for the rest, the part I can't see, I'll just believe for that. I think that's what faith is. All right, there it is. That is my non-traditional Easter message. <laughs> but I do think, though it's not traditional, that it is inspiring. Because get a glimpse of what both mystics and physicists tell us is the underlying nature of reality. Just get a glimpse of it. And get a glimpse of that part of reality that our ego selves, that our brain tricks work so hard to keep us from getting a glimpse of. Quiet the noise of this very powerful part of our brains, this also very helpful evolutionary adaptation part of our brains. This was great for keeping us alive, great for keeping us hunting, great for keeping us gathering, but not great for discerning the underlying nature of things. Quiet the clamoring of that part of us and Easter. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? So in dwelling divine, a glimpse. That's my prayer for us this Easter. A glimpse of the reality that we live in that is bigger than our ego selves. A glimpse of the reality that we live in that is better defined by oneness than by two-ness. That's my Easter prayer for our community. Amen. <clears throat> So you are a generous group of people. You're about to get the financial reports for both February and March, and you're going to see that we're behind. We're a little bit behind in our giving, but not very much. Mostly our expenses have been considerable moving in. There have been lots of expenses related to moving in. We probably spent uh, $20,000 more just in the last two months than we would normally spend in a budget. So if you're behind, this is a good time to get caught up. And keep in mind what I say all the time. There's always a good return when we invest in community. We give our time and we give our energy and we give our love and we give our dollars. The community takes those resources and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which we thrive, transform, and grow. So we give at the top of our website. Please do that. Uh, after we dismiss you folks online, we're going to do what are you thinking here in the room. I encourage you to do it as well. You can do it on Zoom. Uh, the link is on the front page of our website. The link is also there in the YouTube notes and uh, the password to get into the Zoom, 1417, 1417. Let's dismiss the folks uh, online and then I would like to hear what you are talking, what you are thinking about. Please put our hands on our heart and let's remember as we go, carriers of the indwelling divine, every one of us, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness in there. And if you would, extend your other hand to our city. Let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You were dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.